We thank you, our Father, for the benefits that we have because you have adopted us into your family. That is really a remarkable thing. We as uh, men, Christian men, are we're very conscious of our shortcomings. We're very conscious of our failures, even as those who are forgiven and trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. But we are uh, men who are in process. We are men who are under construction. And um, we, are, we are often discouraged because it seems like we are all, uh, so many times our own greatest enemy, and, and, and we are. We are flawed men. We are beset with weaknesses. But how grateful we are that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus took all of our sin and it was placed upon him when he went to the cross and died in our place. He conquered sin and he conquered death. And it's an amazing thing that when the Spirit of God comes after us and regenerates us and we call out to Christ for forgiveness of sins, that not only are we forgiven, but we are adopted into your family with all the privileges of sonship. Uh, Because uh, you loved us before we loved you, it's an amazing fact that nothing can separate us from your love. Uh, We can't separate ourselves. Our failures can't separate us from you because we are in the family and we have been forgiven. It's a remarkable truth. The enemy comes along and tries to disrupt our peace and he accuses us because as we walk through life, we still sin and we still fail. But we thank you that you are a covenant-keeping God and that no one can snatch us out of your hand. No one. So, tonight we come, we confess the fact that we're men who still sin, who still fall short. But we believe 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we remind ourselves tonight, even before we open up our Bibles to study, we remind ourselves again of the gospel that we've been forgiven in Christ, of the great price that he paid on our behalf. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He took the wrath that should have been on us. He took our punishment. We are sons, but we are grateful sons. We are amazed by your grace. We reject the accusations of the enemy. And we thank you that Jesus is our advocate and that Jesus is our defense attorney. And we are clothed in his righteousness. What a gift. What a gift. Help us to walk in that truth. And help us to deliberate on it and all the privileges that are ours because of what Jesus has done. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Well, we are doing our study on the path of life. Our key verse would be Psalm 1611, where the psalmist says, You will make known to me the path of life. Always try to do just a real brief review to get us up to speed. Um, You see the word path everywhere in the scripture. Everywhere. You see the word way everywhere in the scripture. Uh, You don't ever see the word trail. But I like the word trail 
Uh, the word trail is just another synonym for a path or for a way. Uh, interesting, isn't it, um, our street addresses. Some of you guys live on, uh, I mean, this is Texas. Some of you guys live on Covered Wagon Way. Some of you guys live on Oak Street. Some of you guys live on Preston Road. Or you, you probably don't live on it. You probably uh, maybe have an office there or you drink coffee on Preston Road. Uh, you know, Preston Road started out not as Preston Road. It started out, as anybody know, Preston Trail. I mean, they drove cattle up Preston Trail, you see. Uh, sometimes our street address ends in street. Sometimes it ends in uh, road. Sometimes it ends in trail. Sometimes it ends in way. Sometimes it ends in, uh, not far from where I live, there's bridal path. You see, we use all these terms. They're interchangeable. Jesus said in Matthew 7 that there are two paths, there are two trails. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. We all start out on the wrong road going the wrong direction. But when we come to know Christ, when we hear the gospel, when we trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins and ask him to come into our lives, and we believe the gospel that we can be forgiven of our sins, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's, that's called exclusive. Exclusive. There are not many paths to God. There's one path, there's one road, there's one name under heaven given to men by which they may be saved. Now, I, I just give you a tip. That's not real popular. But it's the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You can't get to Jesus through Gandhi or through Taoism or Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam or any other way. It's through Jesus. Jesus is God. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You see? And, and it is simply the sheer grace of God. If you believe that, it's the sure grace of God that you believe it, that you understood the gospel because you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1, but he made you alive and you have been saved and he has taken you off the wrong trail and put you on the right trail. He says in Matthew 7, right around verse 14, 13, 14, broad is the road that leads to destruction. That's the road we were all on. Think about that. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Ah, but narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few are those who find it. The gate that leads to life is narrow. The gate that leads to life is Jesus. That's it. No other gate. No other gate. It's Christ, and it's Christ alone. Now, in the days of religious liberty, you didn't have to worry about that. Declaring it. But things are changing. But that shouldn't affect anything. Because, uh, because he's sovereign. He's sovereign over our lives. We've been talking about the path of life. So, uh, Proverbs, uh, no, Psalm 1611. The psalmist says, you will make known to me the path of life. We're on a path. And again, just by way of review, the, the path begins when, when you're born. And uh, it, it ends at your death on this earth. When I was, you know, flew in to California last week to see my mom and then rented the car and I'm heading up to where she lives and um, up on the hillside there is, uh, in fact, my, my uh, maternal great-grandparents are buried in that area. They've been there since about the 1890s. And uh, in that area, just a few miles from where she lives, and there was uh, that old cemetery next to that old church. I couldn't read the names on the headstones, but I knew they were on there. And you had the person's name. You got the date of birth. It's when they got on the trail. You got the date of their death. And separating the two dates is the hyphen, and the hyphen is the whole story. Uh, if you're here tonight, you're, you're the hyphen. Uh, it, it, I'm just stating the obvious here. 
The hyphen is the trail of life. And uh, we have guys in here that are young. Do you remember, and we have guys in midlife. We have guys that are 60, 70, 80. Uh, I'm, I'm now 65. It's been a long time since anyone called me young man. I remember the days of someone saying young man. But see, I didn't want to be a young man. I wanted to be a mature man. There are phases to the trail of life. There are phases of manhood. Uh, you know, we're, we start out as boys, we become teenagers, then we hit our 20s, and then uh, suddenly we're in our 30s, and there's a transition. You know, 30s a big marker birthday. I mean, 30s, it's a, it's a big time marker because you're getting further down the trail of life. Uh, there, there was actually a study done many, many years ago at Yale by a guy named Daniel Levinson. And he was the first guy to really track the, um, well, he, called, he wrote a book called The Seasons of a Man's Life, all from a secular perspective. But even around 30, uh, he had a phase called becoming one's own man. Because you see, in your 20s, you're still a young man, but in your early 30s, it's time to become your own man. Not that you're not a man before, but now, see, when you cross 30, now you can see 40. Before, you never thought of 40, but now you can see it. And they used to, they don't do this anymore, I don't think, but, you know, they used to, you know, say a law firm has a partner, they even have senior partners. They used to have junior partners. Have I said this in here? I probably have. Um, we don't use that term anymore. But see, the point, even in the 30s, you don't want to be in the same place at 39 as you were at 31. Because there's kind of an invisible ladder, if you will. Actually, it's visible sometimes. And you want to be making progress. And because when you hit 40, you don't want to be in the same place that you were. You want to feel like you're progressing. And then suddenly it's 40, and you've got a whole different set of issues because now you're 40, and then you're facing 50. And and you're, then you're 60. And um, then you're 70. And, 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 then, and then you're 80. And then you're dead. <laughs> Amazing how this works, isn't it? So we're all at different places on the trail. We're all on, we're, we're all on you know, that trail is... Some of you guys are young, some of you guys are midlife, some of you guys are pushing 70, 80, 90, I don't know. But um, here's the point. Wherever you are on the trail, you've never been on this section of trail before. This section of trail is new. So are you 50? Ah, so you're 50. You've never been 50 before. You've been all those other years, but you've never been 50. And there are issues you're going to face at 50 that you didn't face at 45. See, wherever you are, it's new and it's fresh. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, when I was last here, we talked about the back trail. We talked about issues of the back trail. Tonight, I want to talk a little bit about my present trail, where I am right now. Present trail issues that I'm facing. Uh, oftentimes, uh, the fact of the matter is, no matter where you are on the trail, 25, 35, whatever your age, you've not been on this stretch before. This is new. And oftentimes, we find ourselves, regardless of our age, asking the same question. And the question is, where I am in life today or this week, I'm kind of asking myself in different ways, in different contexts, I'm kind of asking myself, where do I go from here? Is that not true? Yeah, because I've not been here before. Maybe, uh, maybe it's about your health. You've never had health issues before. But you see, at this point of the trail, you, you find out I've got a health issue. All right, where do I go from here? Or there's a career change, or there is a company that you've been with a long time that's been bought out, and there's going to be a merger, and some are going to go, and some are going to stay, and you're thinking, hmm, where do I go from here? We're always thinking... In the present, it's pretty common to be thinking, where do I go from here? Because we're facing things we haven't really faced before. These are present, these are present trail issues that come in many, many different forms 
many, many different circumstances. Um, your illness, your wife's illness, uh, the death of your wife, um, career changes, kids leaving, kids moving back, all kinds of stuff. Life changes. And the question is, right now, and see, I think it's true for, it'd be interesting to just break guys up, guys that really knew each other and could talk frankly with one another, and just start dealing with the question, uh, what, what are your present trail issues where you're asking, where do I go from here? See, here's the point. We always need God's wisdom wherever we are. We always need a fresh supply of wisdom. He's been gracious. He has led us. He's been faithful all the way up to this point. We're thankful for that, but I need a fresh supply today because I'm dealing with new stuff. I'm facing new issues. So Psalm 90, as for the days of our lives, they contain 70 or due to strength, 80 years. Their pride is but labor and sorrow. You work all those years. You're productive. You're trying to take care of your family and save and do all this stuff. And man, all of a sudden, you know, it's gone. Soon, but he says, but soon it is gone and we fly away. And then you skip a verse and he says, so teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. Um, present trail issues. Where do I go from here? Turn with me, if you would, to uh, Psalm 32. We were actually there a couple of weeks ago, but I want to go back there. Psalm 32, and we want to look at verses 8 and 9. When you find yourself in the present, saying to the Lord, where do I go from here? First of all, it's a great thing to ask. Uh, because, see, you know he has a purpose, and you know that he has a plan. And there's great wisdom in asking God what he wants to do in your life. And in, in, uh, as you're going to Psalm 32, I'm reminded of, of Proverbs 16, which says, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Interesting how life works out, isn't it? We sketch out our plans. Uh, we kind of, you know, we, and you got to make plans. And, you know, even a career plan, marriage plan, different plans. I'm going to do this and this and this. Look back over the last 10 years. Look back over the last 20 years. The plans that you made. Any uh, deviation? Yeah. Yeah, happens all the time. See, the mind of man plans his way. Ah, but the Lord directs his steps. And see, the older we get, the longer we walk with Christ, and the more times we find ourselves in a ditch because of our own plans, what happens is that, that's not a bad thing because what it does is it finally starts cracking our skulls that, you know what? Lord, what do you want me to do? Uh, Jan Carone, uh, who, who wrote a series of books about a fictional preacher in a little town in North Carolina, um, in those novels, uh, that preacher, and I can't remember his name, but he would, he would say, let's pray the prayer that God, what's his, what's his name? Father Tim. Yeah, he would say, let's pray the prayer that God always answers. You know the prayer that God always answers? Not my will but thine be done. That's wisdom. Not my will. I know what I want to do. Yeah, I know what I'd like to see happen, Lord. But, but Lord, see, I'm wondering, what do you want to have happen? Would you show me? Because see, I've learned you know best. I know what I'd like. And from my perspective, I know what looks like it would be the most beneficial. But, Lord, I don't, I don't know much. I figure that out. I don't know a whole lot. You know all things. What do you want to do? So that takes us to Psalm 32. When you've got present day issues on the trail and you're looking for guidance and you're looking for wisdom, Psalm 32.8 gives, I think, tremendous assurance. 
But there's a condition on the assurance given in verse 8 and 9. Before I read 8 and 9, I want to remind you of verses 1 through 7. Because in verses 1 through 7, David is confessing his sin. He is confessing the, the sin that he committed more than likely after his sin with Bathsheba. Uh, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 go together in that sense. Psalms of, of confession and repentance before God uh, for the greatest uh, act of rebellion in, in his entire life. Um, all the way down, and we spent time on this a couple of weeks ago, but he describes his guilt when he tried to cover it. Um, what happened when he kept silent about his sin, when he tried to hide his sin. But then in verse 5, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. What a statement. There's the gospel right there in the Old Testament. You forgave the guilt. The judicial guilt, not the guilt feelings, the judicial guilt. That's important. Because once he has confessed his known sin, look at what God promises to do for him. Verse 8, the Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. Let's break that down a minute. So often we fly through verses. This, let's chew on this a little bit. Here the Lord God says to David, a sinner like you and like me, great, great regrets, great tragedy, great shame, brought it on himself as we have all done. But he confesses it to the Lord. He comes clean. He admits it. His guilt is forgiven. And then the Lord, here, the amazing grace of God. He's only forgiven, but now here's the Father saying this to him. I will, I will instruct you. It's a flat-out promise. I will instruct you. And I'll teach you. In the way which you should go. See, right there, that helps me. Are, are, are you at, uh, on your present day trail, is there something before you and you're not quite sure which way to go? Okay, that's fine. It's all right. Because you've got a father who has made an ironclad blanket promise to you, I will instruct you. And I will teach you in the way which you should go. Now, do you have it at this moment? Maybe not. That's all right. He'll give it to you. Yeah, but I really like it now. Well, you know what? You'll get it when you need it, quite frankly. There, there are times when God calls us to wait. How many times do you, in the Psalms, you read through the Psalms and you see the word wait? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And, and oftentimes what God is doing while we are waiting is that God is setting things up for us. So we learn to wait. I will instruct you and teach you in the way, in the path, in the trail which you should go. Watch this. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Um, interesting in Scripture, we read often of the eye of God. The fact of the matter is, that we live our lives, and see, remembering this truth helps us keep on the right trail. We live our life, our whole life, we live every day, every moment of our lives under the eye of God. Uh, he is never distracted away from what's going on in our lives. We live under his eye, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, the Bible says. And if I'm mindful of that, it affects how I live my life, even in my, uh, is it Psalm 100? 
Pop over there. I think it's Psalm 100. If not, we'll find something interesting in Psalm 100. I think it's Psalm 100. Actually, it's Psalm 101. I was close. <clears throat> 101 of Psalms. I will sing of the loving kindness and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way, to the blameless path. That's the path you want me to walk in. Uh, when will you come to me? Watch this. I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes in the integrity of my house. Why? Because your eye is on me. See, you, if, if sometimes at night and your wife and kids are in bed and you start going to sites on that computer you shouldn't go to, uh, write this verse out and put it on a sticky note right there on your computer screen. Because the eye, nobody's around. Well, that's where you're mistaken. He's around. You see. And you don't want to go there anyway. But see, what that is, is that's a restraint. It's a godly restraint that helps me. I will, let's go back to 32 of, of Psalms. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Uh, even yesterday, I found myself in a situation where I needed some wisdom, and I had, I, 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 I needed to make a decision, and I wasn't, it wasn't clear to me what I should do. I felt pressure to make a decision. Um, And I said, you know, Lord, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to wait. This isn't clear to me. It wasn't a huge thing, but I wanted, I wanted his wisdom. I've, I've run off and done my thing so many times. I just, I just said, you know, Lord, I need you to show me, and I could do this. And I, in fact, I was inclined to, I said, you know, I'm going to wait. This isn't clear to me. I mean, I feel like I really kind of need to know now, but it's not clear, so I don't need to know now. I got up this morning, uh, and when I got to my email, oh, there was an email, and there's, oh, that was very clear. Oh, okay, oh, there, there you go, right there. See, I will, so but what, four yesterday afternoon? I'm, I'm praying this in my car. See, he said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. And I'm thinking, I need to know right now. Actually, I didn't need to know right then. If I had needed to have known right then, I would have had an answer. But I didn't. And so what? At 7 this morning, I had it. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. And it was perfect. Okay, there we go. So we, we're just walking. The Lord is my shepherd. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I follow him. I'm not saying we don't make decisions. I'm not saying that you're paralyzed. By, I'm, but I'm saying there are times. You've got to make decisions to go through life, and there are things that are clear and just common sense, and you know those things. But there are other issues where you sense, you sense the importance of his guidance, and until it's clear, I suggest you wait. You don't need to bust ahead because of the promise. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Uh, same principle is over in Psalm 119. If you turn with me there to uh, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. Uh, psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. The benefits of knowing the Word of God. The benefits of knowing your Bible. In Psalm 119, specifically verse 105, here is a very well-known scripture. And again, if you break it down, you see that it's a scripture that gives us assurance for the issues that we face in our present day trail. What's before you not right now? You're asking the question, where do I go from here? All right, apply Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet. Years ago, uh, I was doing a retreat, a men's retreat for some church. It was either North Carolina or South Carolina, the Outer Banks, the Inner Banks, Ernie Banks. I don't know what it was. It was somewhere on the coast. 
And, and I'd never been at this place, this retreat center before. It was pretty rustic, pretty remote. The guys at the church had never been there before. And uh, where we were meeting, the small chapel was quite a ways, maybe 500, 600 yards away from where the cabins were. And, you know, we walk out there after dinner. It's still, you know, it's, I don't know. I mean, we could still see at 6 o'clock, 6.30, 7 o'clock. Anyway, we're in there for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, and we come out, and I'm going to tell you something. There were no lights. And for some reason, there wasn't a moon, and it was, and, and we all kind of thought we knew where we were going, but I mean, it was dark. <laughs> and we started talking about how dark it was. And we started laughing because uh, there was dense forest, and we're kind of running into stuff. And nobody, you know, we didn't have any smartphones back then in our pocket with flashlights, and no one had a flashlight. I just never forget. It was just funny how dark it was. In fact, a couple of years ago, that had to be almost 20 years ago, I met a guy, and he said, hey, you came and spoke at our deal at that camp. I said, I remember that place. That was the dark, the dark, the dark camp. He goes, yeah, yeah, you remember that night? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Remember how dark it was. Now watch this. Your word is a lamp to my feet. You know what that tells me? He's not not thinking here about long-term planning. He's not thinking about putting the kids through college or, you know, retirement income. What he's talking about is present-day trail stuff What's before me right now? In other words, today, where do I go from here? Because I'm in the dark. So I need a light for my feet to know where I step next because I can't see what's out there and I can't see what's in front of me. So your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my, there it is, path. The word. Um, I find that interesting. See, there are principles in the Word. Why do we make such a big deal out of Bible study? Why? Well, Deuteronomy 32 says, it's not an idle word for you, it is your life. Matthew 4.4, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is here. It's the wisdom of God. It's the truth of God. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture, right here. All Scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate or completely furnished for every good work. Everything I need for life and godliness Every principle that I need for my life is here in the Word of God. And that's why we study the Bible. Because you see, it's a message that is from God Himself. It's a message about living life on the narrow way. Most of the information we get, and we are barraged with information constantly. The amount of information we get in a day would have overwhelmed our great-grandparents. It overwhelms us. I, oh, yeah. I have several friends, just in passing, have commented to me, they get on average 200 emails a day. And the goal is to, is to respond to them. My goal would be to delete them. (laughs) That's just emails, you see. Saw a guy today at lunch. He goes, hey, did you get that article I I emailed to you? I said, yeah. He said, what would you think? I said, I haven't read it. He goes, oh. I said, 
you send me good stuff. I, I keep sending it. I just had to send it to my reading list. I just haven't been able to get to it. I, there's so much stuff. Now, his stuff, if he says it's good, it's good. I know him. He's got a track record. Most of the stuff I get is propaganda for the broad road that leads to destruction. You see? And if that's all I take in, I'm in trouble. Because if that's my source of information, if that's my source of knowledge, if that's my source from which I make decisions for my daily walk through life, I'm in trouble. You see? Because I'm listening to the wrong people. People who don't have the perspective of the word of God. That's why the Bible says, he who walks with wise men will be wise. You see. <laughs> Go down to 116 of 119. Sustain me according to your word. Watch this. That I may live. Man, that fits Matthew 4.4. 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So what do I need? What, 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 what do I need for wisdom to enable me to make godly, wise decisions that are before me today and tomorrow and next week? What do I need? I need God's input. I need his truth. So 116 says, sustain me according to your word that I may live. Because if I'm a stain to somebody else's word, I'll shrivel up. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Which would take me then over to John chapter 8, verse 31. Very, very familiar words of Jesus. How am I doing on time? I'm doing average as I look at the clock. John, John 8. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, See, and not all the Jews believed him. Not all. But some did. And when they believed in him, they were put out of the synagogue. And when they believed in him, they got off the broad trail and got on the narrow trail. Saul was on the broad trail that leads to destruction. Paul was on, uh, Saul was on a search and destroy mission to stamp out Christianity and to destroy Christians until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then everything changed. Everything. Okay. And suddenly, the great persecutor of Jesus. In fact, Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I am Jesus. <laughs> okay. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, now watch this, watch this. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. All right, so let's talk about my daily trail. Let's talk about today. I need your wisdom, Lord. I need to know, I need to hear from you. I've got decisions to make. All right, I want to live my life based off truth. Okay? The only source of truth is this book, which is revelation from God. There is no other revelation of Christ. It's here and here alone. So I need truth to live my life to, in order to make the best decisions for me and my family. All right, now watch this. Jesus said back in 831, if you read my word once a month, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, I'm not trying to make anybody guilty here, but I want you to see what he's saying. He says, if you, watch this, continue. Continue in my word. If you continue in my word. Then 
you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Do you see the importance of Scripture? Do you eat? Do you eat lunch once a week? No. Eat dinner once a week? No. Some of you guys eat dinner several times a day. <laughs> I did that for years. Um, if you continue, if you continue. See, this is, this is the importance of the Word of God. This is the importance of putting the Word of God in your heart. This is the importance of having access to the Word of God. Listen, you're not, you're, you're, you guys have different callings and different um, areas of work and ways of providing for your family. Uh, pastors are called to uh, pastor and feed the flock. Therefore, they must study the Word of God in Acts 6. The apostles appointed deacons because they said, we've got these issues with these widows and they've got to be fed and it's got to be handled and it's got to be, they all have to be taken care of. But we've got to give ourselves to the word of God in prayer. You see? That was their priority. Now, you're not a pastor. You're not going to be studying five, six hours a day in the scripture. You've got a job and you've got a family. But you've got to carve some time out on a consistent basis so that you can, watch this, continue in his word. Does this make sense? Because you see, I've got to have fresh manna every day. I've got to have, I've got to be reminded of his truth every day because it's what gets me through life as I go through the phases and the seasons of life. I... Uh, I was reading this this morning. Uh, D.A. Carson is a, is a great theologian. And uh, he tells this story. He says, the story is told of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the most influential preachers of the 20th century. When he was dying of cancer, one of his friends and former associates asked him, in effect, how are you managing to bear up? You've been accustomed to preaching several times a week. You have begun important Christian enterprises. Your influence is extended through tapes and books to Christians in five continents. And now you've been put on the shelf. You're dying of cancer. You're reduced to sitting quietly, sometimes managing to do just a little editing. That's it. I am not so much asking, therefore, how you are coping with the disease itself. Rather, how are you coping with the stress of being out of the swim of things? Great question. Because as men, we're called to be productive. We want to be productive. We want to achieve. We want our lives to count. And Lloyd-Jones, believe me, he, he had an influence. He had a tremendous influence. Now he's dying of cancer. Uh, Lloyd-Jones responded this way. Great question. How, how are you coping being out of the swim of things? Lloyd-Jones responded in the works, in the words of Luke 10. Right off the top of his head, he came back with Luke 10. He said, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I'm dying. Yeah, and I've, I've had a great run by the grace of God. Uh, those days are behind me. I don't know how many weeks I have left. How do I cope with not being in the swim of things? See, the, the context is they came to Jesus. They were out on kind of a training mission, and they saw the Holy Spirit do some great things, and they cast out devils, and they came back and they reported to the Lord what had happened, which is a wonderful thing. What did Jesus say? Let me go on. Uh, Carson has a couple more paragraphs. Uh, he says, at one level, Jesus encourages them. He assures them that he has seen Satan fall like lightning from heaven in 1018 of Luke. Apparently, Jesus understands this trainee mission by his disciples as a sign, uh, a way stage of Satan's overthrow, accomplished in principle at the, at the cross. Now, here we go. He tells his disciples that they will witness yet more astonishing things than these. However, he adds, 
Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then Carson says this. It is so easy to rejoice in success. Our self-identity may become entangled with the fruitfulness of our ministry. He's talking primarily to pastors here, but it applies to any Christian. Of course, that is dangerous when the success turns sour, but that is not the problem here. Things could not be going better for Jesus' disciples. And then the danger, of course, is that it is not God who is being worshipped. Our own wonderful acceptance by God himself no longer moves us, but only our apparent success moves us. See, it's very easy, and he goes on, Carson says this, um, it's very easy, easy to unwittingly begin to turn to idolizing something, and that thing is success. It can become an idol in our lives, our accomplishments, our achievements. Few false gods are so deceitful as success. When faiths with such temptations, it's important, desperately important, to rejoice for the best reasons. And there is none better that our sins are forgiven and that by God's own gracious initiative, our names have been written in heaven. Think about that. We're all going to face death. How do you face death? Man, I'm on the shelf. I can't, some of you guys can't do what you did for years and years and years. Is that hard on you? You bet it's hard on you. Are you enjoying that? You're not enjoying that. So how do you sustain? And the question is, where do I go from here? Well, I don't have that long to live. I might have days. I might have weeks. Where do I go from here? What did Lloyd-Jones say? I rejoice my name's written in heaven. Because, gee, that's forever. That's forever. That's astonishing. In other words, what he's saying, that's what gets me through. That's where I'm going from here. Boom, that's great stuff. Is that not great? And it came right off the top of his head. He didn't say, well, let me go find this somewhere, somewhere in Luke. Maybe it's John. Maybe it's Zephaniah. He knew where it was because he had put it on his heart. He was living off of it. You see? There are certain verses you live off of. Different verses for different guys. But you ought to have some verses you can just call in the mind. You see? You just can call in the mind. Why? Because they're so real. And they're so personal. Yeah. The danger of success. You see? Um, Tim Challies wrote something last week. Let me, uh, let me read you a few paragraphs. Because see, as men, what he's going to talk about, we deal with almost every day. Listen to this. He says, have you ever dreamed of being rich? Have you ever wondered what it would be like to know that money poses no barrier between you and your dreams? I think we all have at one time or another, haven't we? And most of us are convinced that we would use our wealth for good to serve others rather than ourselves. We imagine handing over the keys to a new home or donating the full-ride scholarship to that person who could never afford it. We dream of using extravagant wealth to do extravagant good. I've met a lot of guys, uh, well-meaning, well-intentioned, good hearts. Man, I'd like the Lord to build this business, and, you know, I would just, it, man, if it would get to a certain point, then I would just you know, give, and there are guys who, who give dramatically, and very much so. So, yeah, that's a wonderful thing. Charlie's goes on. We attach great significance to great deeds, don't we? And we attach little significance to little deeds. And yet, so few of us ever have the chance to do those big, exceptional things. But what if we are measuring it all wrong? John Stott says it so well, as he comments on Galatians 6.2, which says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Now watch this. Stott says, to love one another as Christ loved us may lead us not to some heroic, spectacular deed of self-sacrifice, but to the much more mundane and unspectacular ministry of burden-bearing. Follow this. Follow this. 
I think the reason we dream of helping others through extravagant wealth is that it feels like those extravagant deeds count for more. So many of our good deeds are small. They seem paltry. Instead of handing over the keys to a brand new car, we hand over a slightly overcooked casserole. Instead of funding an extreme makeover of that person's home, we show up on Saturday morning to help apply a new coat of paint. Instead of giving a check to pay off their mortgage, we give them a few hours of our time to listen and counsel. Instead of funding a wonderful vacation, we take their kids for a couple of hours so that they can get off and escape for a date. It is hardly the stuff that dreams are made of. But then he goes to Matthew 25, and would you turn to Matthew 25 with me? See, and as you're going to Matthew 25, verse 31, see, so often in our daily trail, we're asking for greater and greater success so we can have greater and greater significance and make greater and greater impact. Uh, This is hammered into us by the culture. Matthew 25, verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I read a quote this morning from Vance Havner, the old Baptist evangelist. Let me see if I can get it right. He said, uh, some people in the church are starched and ironed, but not all people in the church are washed and starched and ironed. Did you get that? In other words, not everybody in the church is of Christ. There are wheat and there are tares. Here Jesus is saying, there are sheep and there are goats. You see? Okay. Now watch this. 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. That's fascinating. Because you see... The thing that Jesus says is significant is not doing the exceptional things or the big things. What Jesus says is significant is doing the small things that we think are insignificant. Is that wild or what? That hit me right between the eyes. I didn't, that never, that never dawned on me. I mean, I'd read it, I'd heard it, I was aware of it. Um, that helps me. It helps me. Because so often as men, in our daily existence, I think, I think a huge issue that men deal with on a daily basis, all men and Christian men that we deal with we deal with meaninglessness. We deal with a sense that our lives and our work are not that significant and that it really doesn't count because we are not as successful as we would like to be. But you see, this uh, blows that away. Uh, Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 23, 
whatever you do, do your work heartily. As for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. You see, you're serving Christ. And we're all aware that as things shift in this country, the more that you serve the Lord Christ, the more heat you're going to get. We have just seen this week, here's a Christian lady who has no axe to grind with anybody, but who has a conviction. And we live in a nation where there is a First Amendment, but it is being redefined. And because of her conviction about marriage, that marriage is ordained by God and only for a heterosexual relationship, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. You know, there are quote-unquote evangelicals who are departing from that and running from it. I mean, it's staggering. There, there, I have published with a Christian publisher that just had to resign from the Christian Association of Publishers because they changed their position and published a book saying that marriage between two men or two women is okay and is actually biblical. Oh, yeah. I've worked with those guys. Now, one of them is no longer at the company. A couple others are. You get the point. You get the point. Uh, this lady, apparently now, everything's up for grabs. Not only can you not believe that, you cannot practice that, and if you do, it may cost you everything, and apparently it's going to cost her everything. And up until now, she's been fairly successful. She may lose her success, but I love what she said, I'm not going to be a Judas. Well, let me tell you, God will move heaven and hell to bless that lady. Will he not? Yes, he will. Uh, also go to First Thessalonians chapter 4. And what I'm after is uh, verse 10, second half of verse 10. Uh, actually, let's pick it up in nine just to get the flow. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, for indeed you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. Watch this. We urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. In other words, do your work. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto men. Um, Francis Schaeffer used to say, there are no little people and there are no little places. All work is important. Um, so my present day trail, um, the question often is, where do I go from here? Uh, is there to be a change in your life? Do you sense that coming? Now, oftentimes we can sense when a new chapter is coming in our life. Well, can I tell you something about the Lord? He is the Lord of transitions. If you've got a transition in front of you, guess what? He's sovereign over that transition. And if you will look to him, you know what he will do? I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you through the transition. But it's interesting, in that next verse in Psalm 32... And I'm kind of jumping around here tonight. 
But I don't think that's illegal yet. <laughs> In the following verse, he says, but don't be as the horse or mule whose trappings include bit and bridle to keep them in place. In other words, when I'm on my daily trail and I'm saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I need your wisdom and I need your guidance. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Ah, but don't be as the horse or mule whose trappings include bit and bridle to keep them in place. Have you ever ridden a horse that doesn't want to go where you want to go? Yeah. Often they're rental horses. <laughs> You'll find them at the stalls at the airport at Hertz and Avis. We used to rent horses in Half Moon Bay, California. And those horses would get 20 or 30, and you want to just ride along the beach. Mike, you, 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 you want to ride down by the beach or something? But up, up, up on those bluffs, there was grass, and as soon as they get out of the stall, they'd go about 15 feet, and then mm, they're going up there. And you spend the next two hours, you paid your money, next two hours you're fighting those suckers, just trying to get them down by the way. They're not going, they don't care. Now that's how we're not supposed to be. My day, here I am, Lord. I've got a decision in front of me. We, we got, we, we've got a decision we, we're, with, with health, my health or my wife's health. We're not even sure. Lord, who? Someone's telling us this doctor. Someone's telling us this doctor. We don't know. Lord, would you show us what to do? Because we don't know. Would you just show us? You say, come on. You pray about stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He's my shepherd. He's concerned about everything in my life. He's concerned about everything in your life. Absolutely. You ask him, he'll show you. The eye of the Lord is upon those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness. He cares. He cares for you. He cares what's going on in your life. Lord, I, I need wisdom here. Do we go ahead and make this investment or do we not? Lord, I need to know what you want me to do. And let me tell you something. If you feel a check, don't you do that. If you feel checked in your spirit, don't you move. If you can't do it with a clear heart and a clear, clear conscience, if it's not a faith, it's sin. Don't move ahead. You wait. You just wait. See? This is following him. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you, but don't be as the horse. Don't fight me. When I show you what I want, don't fight me. Don't resist me. Submit. Obey. And he'll lead you, no matter where you are on the path of life. It's the safest place in all the world. Does he give you the next 15 steps that you ought to take? I've never personally had that happen. It's just kind of fascinating how he leads one step at a time. Have you noticed this? <laughs> but you know what? One step at a time is okay because he'll get you through. I close with Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Literally, even though I walk through the valley of deepest darkness, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He doesn't say, even, even though I avoid the valley, even though I tunnel around it. No. I'll go through it. Why? And by the way, how will you go through it? One step at a time. And what kind of valley is it? Literally in the Hebrew, it's even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of deepest darkness. Thou art with me. Oftentimes on our present trail, we're in the dark. He's never in the dark. Because 139 of Psalms says that darkness and light are alike to thee. He's never in the dark about you. Maybe you're overwhelmed. That's okay. Psalm 142, 3, when my spirit was overwhelmed, you knew my path. He's got a plan. Stay close daily.
That's truth that will set you free. Let's pray. So thank you, Father, as we face the daily decisions of life, our present trail. We've seen all this grace up until now. We need fresh grace. We've seen it today. We're going to go home. We're going to go to sleep. Help us to sleep and rest deeply because you give to your beloved even in their sleep. And then, Lord, thinking of Lamentations 3, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope that your compassions are new every morning. We're going to get up in the morning, there's going to be a brand new steaming bowl of grace and compassion and care from your hand. You never fail. You will make known to me the path of life. We thank you. We walk out of here with hope because of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.